We have a very special guest this morning, <laughs> Brother Nate Templeton. You know him, and uh, we welcome you to uh, this pulpit. Good morning. Man, I feel like you're not awake. We're going to try that again. Good morning. All right, I like that. Well, I am Nate Templin. I am your associational director of the Royal Gorge Baptist Association here in Southern Colorado. We have around, depending on who you talk to, 20 to 23 to 24 churches, a few to potentially join soon, and hopefully a lot more plants to come so we can uh, continue to grow the kingdom of God here in Southern Colorado. Uh, my beautiful wife and two rowdy boys are holding it together at Steel City. They're kind of holding the fabric of our college church together as during the summer everybody leaves. And so they're over there worshiping and, and uh, together with, with our family over there. And so um, I don't know. That's, I see quite a few new faces that I haven't met. So just a really quick rundown for you of one of my favorite things to help people understand who I am. I was born in Florida, and then we moved to North Carolina, and then we moved to Virginia. And then we moved to uh, Guadalajara, Mexico, then Jalapa, Veracruz, Mexico. And then we moved to Virginia, and then back to Jalapa, Veracruz. From Jalapa, I moved to Enid, Oklahoma. From Enid, Oklahoma to Shawnee, Oklahoma. From Shawnee, Oklahoma to Lakewood. From Lakewood to Littleton. From Littleton to Cheyenne Wells, Colorado. From Cheyenne Wells, Colorado to Enid, Oklahoma. From Enid, Oklahoma to Fort Worth, Texas. From Fort Worth to Arlington, Texas. From Arlington, Texas to, to Grand Prairie, Texas. From Grand Prairie, Texas to... Uh, Fort Collins, Colorado, from Fort Collins to Pueblo, Colorado, and I think we've lived in four houses here in Pueblo. So, but I will tell you this, now that I have halfway survived the summer in Pueblo, this is the longest I've ever lived anywhere, right? Amen, and my wife said amen too, right? She grew up in Monta Vista, Colorado, and lived there for, till she left college and so the whole moving thing was pretty new to her um, and then she uh, found out she was marrying a church planter and it was all downhill from there so um, I appreciate you guys letting me be here today as we celebrate uh, who God is but also we get to celebrate the 4th of July right and so we want to celebrate that together um, and uh, you know what God has done some things through our nation in our nation to reach the nations. What I celebrate is who we are as Baptists and the freedoms that we have in uh, the United States is to be able to send thousands of missionaries around the world together through the cooperative program and to send thousands of missionaries around the United States to start new works in places of the United States. We get to do that together because we have freedom, right? Um, we do not serve freedom. God has created freedom to serve himself, right? And so we don't celebrate today just the nation itself, really. We celebrate, hopefully, what God is doing through the freedom he has given us for this time. For the future, we don't know, right? But we can celebrate who God is and what he has done to reach many, many nations with his gospel and for his purposes. And so we, we do want to celebrate that today, all right? 
Um, so let me, we're going to actually go through today a little bit, if you have your Bible um, or your electronic device, um, whether you're at home, watching online, or here with us today, um, we're going to go through a little bit of Romans chapter 12, and we'll see if we get through more than two verses. I'll be really honest. Um, because I was told to keep it short, since I'm really just the short version of Greg, um, not quite as handsome and not quite as good a speaker. So, um, yeah, so um, one of the things that um, we want to look at as we look at Romans is um, we, we want to remember what has happened in the first 11 chapters of Romans. Um, as Paul is talking to mainly the Jews, and he's kind of telling them, because part of their question was, has God forgotten us? Has God forgotten his people and his covenants? And Paul is going, no, you, you have forgotten God, right? Through those chapters, he's saying, you created the law that I gave you, and you added, and you, you made the law an idol for you, and your disbelief is the problem that you have, Right? He's telling the Jews that, and he kind of transitions in 11 to go, and Gentiles, by the way, part of you being part of who my people are, which has always been his purpose, even in the Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter, his purpose was always for all people, but he always chose Israel for the purpose of making himself known, right? And so the Jews were questioning those who had come to know who Christ was, has God forgotten his people and his covenant? And Paul's answer is, no, you have forgotten God, right? And so Israel created a kind of this formula, right? Basically, they created a formula into their outlet for worship. The laws that they added, they thought it was the law that was saving, and they, they missed it. They missed it because they thought the actions that they did in sacrifices and all the many laws that they had even added is what brought salvation. And what do we know? That's not what brings salvation. And Paul tells them right there, right, in, in the 11th chapter, he's telling them the problem is not that God has forgotten you. Your unbelief is what has happened. Your disbelief. You have forgotten God and you have turned to the idol of your own creations. Law had become their idol. Their practices had become their idol, right? And I'm sure none of you ever experienced that in your life, right? To where you create these good things that you're doing, whether it's for God or, or you're teaching or you're, you're a plumber or you're an electrician, you're a doctor, you're, you're a your minister, whatever it is, right? Those things never become your idol, right? Never. That never happens, right? Yeah, me neither. That I'm <laughs> ministry is never a problem. So I'm telling you, as I studied this and I looked through this, one of the things, and, and God does this, right? He hopefully, if you're teaching and God allows you to teach others, hopefully in the midst of your teaching, God is crushing your heart for who he is telling you to be and to learn also. So what I get the freedom to do whatever I want because I'm a guest. And so whether you're at home or whether you're here, you're going to have to turn to somebody and you're going to have to say, here's a normal idol for me. OK? 
okay? I know this is super uncomfortable, okay? But you could be, here's sometimes what I create into an idol. It could be my family. It could be work, right? It could be helping people. But once again, the law in itself wasn't bad. The law was to point out sin, right? The law was to show us how much we need a God. And so it wasn't a bad thing. So just really quickly, uh, super uncomfortably, you've got to turn to someone and go, sometimes, and you can tell them the easy one, right? Like, you know, sometimes, you know, just watching TV becomes an idol. If you want to be that shallow, okay, today, all right? So turn to someone. You've got one minute to tell them, here's something that in my life sometimes becomes an idol or the object of my worship in life, okay? You've got one minute. Ready, go. Awkward airtime, but at home you better be doing it too. You can just turn around and yell at him. How about that? Or whisper, whatever you got to do. And those of you who don't answer, we're just going to assume that you are so spiritual that nothing ever gets in the way of your relationship with our holy God, right? All right, that's long enough, I'm sure. I'm sure that something came to your mind quickly and most of you went, I'm not going to say anything. And that's okay. We'll forgive you this time. So I'll tell you, uh, as, I, as I was thinking through this, part of what I realized is ministry does become my idol, right? Because I get caught up in what I can do for God. I get caught up in the things that are really good to do for God. But the problem is good things become idols when, when I put what I'm doing above who God is. Does that make sense? I put, look what I can do for you, God. Look how good I am at doing this. We put that before who God is. And that's when it becomes an idol. And idols are really the object of our worship. So ministry sometimes, this is just throwing out my sin to you, becomes the object of my worship. And it becomes sin. Because I think I can do great things for God. But in and of myself, I cannot. And this is what they were struggling with as Paul is telling them, you created something that was good into sin because you began to worship and think it was something it wasn't. Right? So this is kind of what's happening in those verses. And Paul points out that God has not forgotten his people, but they have gone astray and have had hard hearts towards him. They lost their way because of the idol of law worship they had created. But guess what? what? What do those verses say there in verse 11? Right? God was still faithful and merciful. He had not forgotten them, even in their hard-heartedness and unbelief and disbelief. So the Jews' sin, once again, Israelite sin was unbelief. But he also tells the Gentiles, so basically everybody else, you who formerly disbelieved, so their sin was also what? Disbelief. And so they, anytime there's disbelief, it's because there's something that we believe more than God. There's something in our life that we are putting above who God is. And those things 
whether it was prior to knowing Christ and following him or during knowing Christ and following him. It was an object of our worship, and it was an idol to us. No different than that time. Because it's easy to read this passage and be like, yeah, those guys, I can't believe that they followed the law. Like, they thought the law was how they were saved, not knowing it was God and his mercy, right, that saved them, not knowing that it was through Jesus Christ that there was salvation. It's easy to do that. But the truth is, every single day, it is what we fight. We fight the disbelief and almost the belief in ourselves that we can do something great for God. And, and I know that many of you and many people struggle with disbelief in what God is doing through us, right? But that's addressed a little bit later in 12 as we look at the unity of the body and what God has done through you and he has created you to do. And so those of you who have this low self-confidence need to realize that God is wanting to do something in you and through you for his purposes. And those of you like me that struggle with pride, God is always trying to beat down your pride so that he can be primary and do something through you, and it's not of you, right? And so that's the struggle that's going on. Disobedience and unbelief were the problems of both the Jews and the Gentiles. And guess what that incorporates? The whole body. What happens when we worship something other than God, no matter how good it is? It's our whole body. It's our physical body. It's our mind. It's everything we don't realize we are putting in towards something that is not God. And that is idol worship. Yet, chapter 11 says, God offers mercy to all. So, as we transition a little bit into chapter 12, we're gonna, I'm going to read this. Therefore, I urge you, Brethren, and I'm in the New American Standard Bible today. I just kind of do a Russian roulette and find what Bible to use that day. So today you get New American Standard Bible. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, you've heard this verse many times if you lived, if you grew up in the church and you've been part of the church. But today, hopefully, God is going to, like, like he has impressed upon me and hopefully impresses upon you through his word, something that he is calling us to change or to re-engage or to re-understand our object of worship and what worship actually is. Verse 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For though the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. By the way, that's he and she, okay? So, though ladies, you're like, yeah, yeah, you shouldn't think highly of yourself. This is really to you too. This is to everybody, right? Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. 
For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. If there's nothing that I know about what happened during COVID, it's that churches internally were torn apart. As someone who has had the chance to minister and to work with many of our pastors, our ministers could not win in the battle of COVID. You had those saying, we have to do this, and those saying, you cannot do this, and they were ripped apart, and there was no way that they could make the right decisions in the eyes of all of their people. And what happened is many left the church because of the decisions of the leadership. And the leadership that God had put in place for his purposes was just trying to do the best that they could do. And disunity entered the body of Christ. And really, it's not that it wasn't already there. It's that during COVID, it came to the surface. And the ugliness within us, because we were stressed beyond maybe what we'd been stressed before, it came to the surface. Many left the church during this time. And many are not coming back. Though some have seen new faces and, and new growth and new people coming to Christ, disunity reigned within the church because of something temporary that we like to disagree on. Because that's we're pretty good at that. We're actually really good at disagreeing. I mean, I'm sure in marriage you've never experienced that. I'm sure with your friends you've never experienced that. I'm sure definitely never in your church, right? But the call is unity in Jesus Christ in these verses. So let's go back up and let's look. Therefore, I urge you, brethren... By the mercies of God. Okay, so that's already get telling you. So the therefore, I urge you, the therefore piece of this is going, because of the 11 chapters that I've already written you, because of the, all of that I wrote before, because of that, this, this chapter transitions not just into what God has done and that he has not forgotten his people and that he does love the Gentiles and that he is merciful towards all, which is throughout Scripture is now transitioned into, so what does that look like? Because of that, what do we do? That therefore, in Scripture, should always tell you that something is coming because of what was already written. Okay, So that's good, good hermeneutic. When you're reading a passage and you see a therefore, you should go, wait a minute, I need to look at what was before so that I can understand what's being said now. Okay, Freebie, next time you're reading, you're going to see it, and you're going to go, oh, I better read the chapters before something something's coming right i urge you who who is he talking to the church right the, the people of god by the mercies of god okay he's already talked about that in the previous chapter right and before about the mercy of god and mercy is giving what is not deserved mercy is saying i'm just going to give you this because i'm god right to present your what? Bodies <laughs> as what? A living 
and holy sacrifice, right? Not, not he's urging you to do some things, first off. He's actually asking you to give what? <laughs> you, yes, yourself. All of you. Not just a little bit of you, all of you. As a what? A, a dead sacrifice? As, right? Because, once again, this should put in your mind the previous chapters and Paul talking about the law, what did they offer? They were dead sacrifices, right? They were dead things. They were things that were dead that they offered. But there's a transition into living sacrifice that we are to be as a living sacrifice here on earth for what God is doing. And so your mind should as you read through more and more scripture, you should be going, oh, man, there should be all these lights coming on your head and thinking about things in the Old Testament and the previous chapters here and other things and what Jesus said and going, there was the dead sacrifices that were not enough and there was a sacrifice that was living of who? So there's two living sacrifices that were offered throughout scripture, right? What are they? You know? Jesus and... Isaac, there we go, okay? So Isaac was offered, right? He's the son of? Good, you guys know so much Bible. This is amazing, okay? Yeah, Steel City, there's a lot of stairs. I'm going to be real honest sometimes. Love you guys, but um, they'll never see this. Um, so you've got Isaac, the son of Abraham, and, right, God tells Abraham, you're going to go. By the way, he didn't tell his wife. <laughs> we all know why, okay? He's like, go up there, and you're actually going to sacrifice your son. So he takes Isaac up as a living sacrifice, and they get up there, and Isaac willingly gets on the altar to be sacrificed. And what does God do? He provides, say it out loud, a substitute, which was a what? A living, another living sacrifice to be killed as a, and then burned as a dead sacrifice, right? And as you read those passages, you should, these, once again, these lights should be going off in your head because you know what is to come later, which is Jesus Christ. You should be going, God provides a way, which is not you. You are not the ultimate living sacrifice. Jesus Christ was the ultimate sacrifice. Isaac, by the way, didn't die, right? That's the lineage that comes after and the Jews and the people of God. And so God provided a sacrifice in place of Isaac, which is a foreshadowing, a looking forward to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus for you. Right? I don't know what background you all come from. I don't know what religious background you've had in your past. But I want you to hear something very clearly today. The things you do do not lead to salvation. They are a dead sacrifice. Not that they're bad, but they are a dead sacrifice right? In a sense. The things you do are a display as to who you believe in. They, they are a bubbling out 
of a belief that salvation does not come through the works that I do, which the Jews had missed, right? What, what, they're, what he's saying is, is that you are to offer your body as a living sacrifice as Jesus Christ willingly submitted, though equal with the Father, willingly submitted in role to come and sacrifice himself for you and for me, right? We talk about, and, and I, I'm impressed by the anybody that has served in the military willing to go sacrifice their life overseas. And when I look at that, it, for me it is a picture, in some ways, of the living sacrifice of Jesus. Except for when he does it, he does it so that you can have life, not just here, but eternally. So here that the things that you do do nothing to gain or to deserve the mercies of God. Right? It is only what Jesus did upon the cross. And so Jesus is the ultimate living sacrifice. The first fruits, Scripture talks about. Right? And so when we see Jesus, we should say, he's who we're trying to follow. And so what did Jesus do? He, he lived a sinless life, God, being God, lived a sinless life, went to the cross, died. For who? Yeah. So if he's the picture of the living sacrifice, then what is the picture for us if we're called to be the same living sacrifice that is holy and set apart and other? What, are, what is the picture? It's the picture of Jesus giving himself up for others, right? It's the picture for me. I don't live to get for me. I have to live to give for them. I should be a living sacrifice for those that need him, not just for myself, because Jesus is the example, and he is God. And he sacrificed so that you can already gain life, and so our goal of living sacrifices would be to glorify the Father and to help others know that they can have the same relationship that you and I have. And it says a holy sacrifice, right? An other, a, a set apart. What kind of sacrifice? It tells you there that is what? Acceptable to God. So not just a sacrifice. All right, God, I'm going to run a mile for you. He's like, all right, that's cool, but you don't have to do that. I want something that's acceptable to me. So when we give of ourselves because of what he has given to us, Paul's urging them to live in such a way that what? That it would be acceptable and pleasing to our father. Hmm, interesting. And this is what, so there's different translations on this, right? 
But when we live in this way, our body, right, we give everything that we are to this, what is it? It is our, what does it say? Spiritual service of worship, our, our spiritual worship, our reasonable, our good worship, our good service. There's many ways to translate those, right? The problem is when we read worship in modern American church, what do we think of? We're thinking of singing. Don't, don't act like you're not. When I say worship, you're like, yeah, I like lots of worship music. I like singing on Sunday. I'm really sorry if I have to burst this bubble today or if you knew it and you need to hear it again. Singing on Sunday is this much of worship. Your body and your life is your worship to God. How much of it? All of it. What if you came on Sunday and you, you sat out here and you chose to only sing or to think through and to worship God one of the five songs. Is that, is that a good display of worship? Would you say that's really good singing? No, you'd be like, that guy never sings. He, he's talking to someone in the back. There's no worship of God present there. That's so little. So why do we accept living a life and only part of who we are being God's? Why do we allow this much of our life to be dedicate, dedicated to be living sacrifices and the rest of it's just for us? God doesn't allow that. I'm sorry. If you can flip over or you can just listen, in Mark 12, 29 through 31 says this. I'll give you just a second if you need to look it up on your devices or physical Bible or stare at it on a screen or you can quote it probably. Here's what it says. So Jesus has just been asked by one of the teachers of the law. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Right? Commandments, the law, all that, the things we should do. What's the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your and with all your and with all your and with all your so is anything left out? No. No, no, no. Nothing's left out. Listen. If you think that, that God doesn't want all and every bit of you. That means your struggles and your thoughts and your physical body and your eternity 
then you're missing what the scripture says. What do those cover? Heart, the center of who you are, right? Your passions. And with all your soul, right? And with all your mind, your thoughts, right? Are you angry all the time? Are you always wanting to argue with somebody? Are you always wanting your ways? Are you always trying to think through and you figure out and it's all about you? And with all your strength, your energy, what you do constantly, it doesn't leave anything out. You cannot compartmentalize your life. Because that's not worship. That's idolatry. If anything is left out within who you are, and God is always shining a light on those places and those things. If anything within your life does not show up as a living sacrifice, then it is idolatry because you are worshiping self. And you're worshiping something other than God. I, I tell people when I tell my testimony that there was a point in life in my high school career that God, and this is not a word, I get it, God made it clear that I needed to uncompartmentalize my life. Because I had my church friends and my non-church friends and my work and my, my play and all these different things. And he was like, I want all of you, not part of you, all of you, your passions, your desires, the things you want to do. He goes, I want all of that because they're mine anyway. You've given yourself to me. I want all of it. Not a piece of it. I want all of it. And if you work, you work for me. And if you play, you play for me. And if you're with your family, you're with your family for me. And if you're struggling, come to me. If you're upset about something, come to me. All of it. Because that's a living sacrifice because Christ gave all of himself. Being God, he came down and suffered. He didn't have to, right? God could have figured, he's God, he can do whatever he wants to do. But Jesus willingly submitted to come and take your and my place and our death upon the cross for our sins and our stuff. And in return, you are no longer your own, you are bought at a price. And that's all of you. That's your physical ailments. That's what you eat. That's how you talk. That's what you watch. That's what you listen to. That's what happens when you are together. It's all of you. Worship is being God's. All of you being His. Not just part of you. Verse 2 of 12 says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be, say it, say it loud, at home, yell it at the screen, I don't know what you guys do, be what? All right, right, I believe this is the same word as transfiguration, same word, transformed, remember Jesus after the cross, remember what happened, there's newness, your mind, your body, your soul, your strength, your heart, everything is transformed 
into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And you're not there yet. You will not be there until you get to eternity. But we are always working towards that, right? It's kind of like losing weight. It's like, I'm going to lose weight, right? But I'm never there. <laughs> I'm just never there, right? I get some of you don't have that problem. Maybe it's like losing weight for me, right? I'm going to get there, but I'm never going to look like what I want to look like. But it doesn't mean I'm not on that journey. To be Christ-like is a journey throughout life so that we can be living sacrifices in the midst of it, in the midst of the struggle and the sin and the things of this world, so that we can be Christ to everybody we encounter. What's the second part of Mark saying? The first one is love the Lord your God with everything you are, but the second one says what? Love your neighbor as who? I got news. You love yourself. <laughs> don't act like you don't, right? Some of you struggle maybe with self-image. Some of you struggle with all kinds of things, physical ailments or, or uncertainty or I don't look like I want to look like or you struggle with these things, but you feed yourself still. You at least get food. You're still breathing. You still put clothes on. Like you love, we love ourselves more than we think. So if we love ourselves, right, I know the modern movement is just love yourself. I got news, you love yourself more than you think you do. I love myself way too much. God's always chipping away at that. But the point of this is not, hey, love yourself. The point is you should love others as much as you love yourself. And the truth is God loves you. He loves you so much that he gave his only son so that anyone, whosoever, believes that Jesus came and died for them and took their place may have what? Salvation eternal life. We are called to be living sacrifices because we're his and no longer ours, and how is it displayed? How is our living sacrifice displayed every day? If not by loving others the way that we love ourselves and that God loves us. You see that? The outlet of our faith, how we show that we love God, is by helping others know him too and know the love of our Father, right? Amen? We'll finish with this. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For though the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, the church, right, the believers, and all the members do not have the same function because we're different, amen, 
So we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Don't fight. When you fight, it's normally because you want something that you want. Unity is caused usually by us laying down ourselves. This unity is caused by wanting our own personal preferences. Be careful in your celebration on this 4th of July. I just want to say, just as a side note, we should celebrate what God has done through our nations and the freedoms that we have. But be careful in your celebration of our nation that you do not, at the same time, create an idol out of it. Okay? Just be careful. Celebrate away. Love fireworks at separate 3 a.m. Worship is giving and understanding that all of you is Jesus Christ's. All of you is his, not a piece of you. And let me admonish you as, as we, we close and we're going to have a little bit of a response time. Um, worship through loss of self so that you may decrease and he may increase. It's not saying to hate yourself. This is not saying anything like that. Or don't feed yourself or dress or live in certain places. What it's saying is don't make something an idol Make Christ your object of worship. Do not stumble over anything that you personally want that causes disunity or that breaks you away from living a life that is wholly his so that everybody else may know him. Become less so that they may see him and he may become more. So come on up. And what I want you guys to do is we, as we, as you sing, as you listen, as they play, is I want, I want you to listen to the Spirit of God putting his finger on the thing in you that has become an idol so that you may go, God, I want all of you and less of me. I want to worship you there so that when I come here, I'm desperate for you even more. Amen?